listening. Welcome to Crypto Weekly Podcast for everything this building. I'm David D. Today, I've got with me Jonathan Char. Hello. Then Cunningham. Hello. And today, we've got with us a friend of the show, Jamie Nash and Holly. And we'll be talking about the performance arts and disability. Please like and share. And over to you, Cunningham. Thanks so much for that, David. And look, welcome, guys, to the episode today of Crypto Australia. And g'day to you, Dean. Hey, how you doing? Welcome back, mate. Pleasure to be here. And a special hello to you, Holly. Haven't forgotten about you. (laughs) Hello. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure having you both. And, um, yeah, welcome back, Dean and Holly. I hope it's not your your, uh, last time with us. Hope you come many times to the podcast and have a chat with us. It's always important. We'll see, we'll see. We love our regulars. (laughs) Um, so, guys, please tell us a, a, like, about yourselves and also just what got you passionate about the uh, performing arts uh, industry, in particular with um, theatre and film. Uh, yeah, as, as David mentioned, I have been here before. The last time I was here, I was plugging um, I was plugging in an album of mine just released. And so, yeah, I, I do that. I'm a musician. I'm an actor, a writer, and a composer at the moment. And I guess that the reason that myself and Holly are here is we're performing in a play at Flight Path Theatre in Marrickville starting at the end of July called uh, Teenage Dick, which is a uh, modern reimagining of Shakespeare's Richard III. Uh, so that's what we do. Yeah, I guess passionate about the performing arts just because I really all have i bounced in the theater from 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 being in music um and then from there kind of stumbled asked us into into film i think all of these things kind of get interconnected after a little while um i didn't i didn't start in in theater or film just because i didn't really there were no uh there were no disabled people uh on tv or on on the stage that you would see uh, at that time so it just didn't seem like a viable uh, option but i always felt like i could write music so that'd be fine and then uh just kind of, you know, as, as the years progressed, started to find little nooks in the industry that I could fit into. And where there weren't those nooks, I would kind of carve them out myself. That's me. Uh, mine's kind of similar. You never Wait, think about yourself as a, a person with a disability when you're little. You just think of yourself as a person. So you have your, your loves and your interests, which for me were like art and music and you know obsessed with movies and tv shows especially weird ones that had weird effects in them like obsessed with a fly when i was a little kid and just how did they even manage to make that happen i'd always been just interested in creating weird things ever since i was a little i'm acting with dean in teenage dick but it's going to be the first time i've acted since high school um i was really into acting at school but they like Dean said, there was no one with disabilities on stage or on TV um, in films. Like I'm a person that uses a wheelchair, so that's, you know, you never see that, um, especially in theatre. Um, and I got told that I shouldn't continue acting um, in the HSC or after the HSC, and so I didn't. Um, and so this um, whole experience has been 
really cool because the playwright has said that the people that are disabled in the play need to be cast as people with those disabilities. So going through the um, the audition process was really interesting and enlightening, talking to different people about their experience with disability, even if they aren't disabled characters just because they're in, in a play about it. We would ask people that were auditioning, you know, what's their experience, especially at acting school. And even now people were saying, oh, there's no way they'd let someone with a disability into our acting school or even into our private performing arts high school. So even this day and age, that's still happening, yeah. which is sad. But like Dean said, um, you can find a niche and you can really carve it out if you work super hard. So I um, graduated school, went to art school, and then all this time later now, I'm a production designer and a costume designer primarily in theatre and film. And so work in the art department on big things and then design smaller things myself. But it is a grind to find that place um, where you fit. But, yeah. Okay. So, so like I must... I must ask both of you this question as well, just off, off the, the, the back of that. Um, does the stage have wheelchair access? Flight Path does. Current? Flight Path is like, you know, even me as someone who, you know, designs and builds sets in, in the theatres, drilling things together and that, I'm anxious when I go to a theatre because I don't know what kind of access it's going to have and all that kind of stuff. So I get nervous going to a theatre that I haven't worked in before because I don't know what it's going to be like. <laughs> but if anyone's ever wants to go to the theatre ever and they have any kind of access worries, go to Flight Path. It's literally a flat box with the world's longest, flattest ramp up to it yeah it's a great place for accessibility yeah cold though fantastic how about you dean yeah. <laughs> do you face access challenges as well or not look my 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 access barriers are a, a lot are a lot less so uh not not um not so much though when i was when i was gigging primarily and you kind of you're playing in pubs and small bars and and addicts of venues and stuff you know I, on behalf of my friends i would always be checking calling venues to make sure they're accessible when we were playing at them and so many so many times uh carrying like with with permission carrying friends wheelchairs up uh up massive flights of staircase into into dingy venues um to find out yeah. that the accessible bathroom was being used as a dressing room or a green room all kinds of uh craziness so i find um and and a lot of theater spaces or even rehearsal spaces and stuff um are kind of repurposed from from old factories and warehouses and things like that so there's definitely no accessibility code um, or no up to scratch one for, for places um, a lot of the time. So it definitely it definitely does make it harder, both as a as a um, as a performer, but also for audience members and stuff as well. I find theater um, there's a there's a lot of uh, uh, privilege in being able to access uh, live theater a lot of the time. So that's like uh, and that sounds like like one more episode we could cover, right? A story we could cover is access in the performing arts community. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh. How long have you got? Yeah, yeah, thousand years. Uh, a good episode, I think. Not knowing what your disabilities are, are you both on wheelchairs or? I'm not. I'm hemiplegic, uh, mostly. Can move around uh, 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 quite um, quite independently ninety percent of the time. I am. Yeah, I just use a manual wheelchair. I had a random blood clot on my spinal cord when I was a fetus. Very random. <laughs> You, you must be a good carpenter. Yeah, I'm a great carpenter, actually. Ollie's building all the sets for our for our show, and uh, the, the designs look incredible, absolutely incredible. What's, what's the best thing? The best thing you built? 
Um, I build a um, set for my graduating year at Edmore Design Centre and it was like mass, it looked like massive steel beams that were all rusted and um, like rusted wrought iron, but actually it was made of um, CNC cut MDF stapled to a whole bunch of pine truss built. It's on my website. Uh, and we built a big fake terrace house wow. um, and then painted it all in this like um, crazy hyper color um, kind of trippy look and then um, painted this like really super realistic fake floor that looked like real wood. Just lots of cool stuff like that. If you like, do you want to share your website? Mm, it's just my name, so hollyjanecole.com. Yeah. So like, going to you, you then, Dean, can you tell us how your, your, um, your family um, – upbringing and background that you helped you with your career that you have now how it influenced it yeah for sure i think i i grew up in um like in in western sydney um and uh, all of my friends were uh massive into sport if it wasn't rugby season it was cricket season uh and neither of those things appealed to me very much at all um uh and so like i figured they all had things that they kind of you know it's it, it tied tied to their identity um and uh and so for me i just kind of stumbled into into music and so like that kind of made me feel really strong and capable in uh especially younger uh, at a time when i didn't really feel that a lot and it also um especially theater uh gave me agency to feel kind of connected to my body when uh, um i didn't really feel it a lot so i guess kind of being uh around the people that I was around and coming from a very, I guess, uh, kind of sport orientated and very blue collar family uh, as well. Like uh, I had a drive to kind of find my own thing and it ended up being that. And, and you, Ollie, what was your background, um, your, um, your upbringing background like with your career? How did it help you? I grew up on the South Coast where there was no other disabled people anywhere near me. Um, my family were pretty poor. And so I grew up around my dad building everything for us, building our house, um, pulling apart our cars and putting them back together and being really involved in that with him, um, going and shooting animals to eat. Um, some of our family have native title to hunt and fish and stuff, so we're always doing things like that. Um, so, um, you know, people on the South Coast, there's nothing to do. This is pre-internet. <laughs> so um, you're, like, running around in the bush. You're, like... Um, surfing when it's summer you're skating when it's winter and I didn't see myself as any different from anyone else so I just did what everyone else did and I found ways around things that I couldn't do and so I really just felt like I had agency to do whatever I wanted if I found a way around it like I didn't have this big label on myself as like less than everyone else or less able than everyone else and my parents never told me oh you can't do that because you're in a wheelchair or whatever I felt really grateful yeah. that they just let me do the whatever I you know go camping with my friends fine you know just crawl around on the beach in the sand and whatever um so I just felt the same which was a really great way to grow up when um I started training for the Paralympics because um, I'd been doing track and road racing since I was about eight and we'd drive up to Sydney to compete and stuff. And then we moved to Sydney the year before 
Paralympics to train. And I'd meet a lot of people who were like, oh, yeah, I want to be in the Paralympics too. And you'd kind of like do outreach and meet people who wanted to get into it. And there'd be a lot of people whose parents didn't let them do anything and like really much forced the label of disability onto those people. And you could see that they had a lot more potential than they were um, allowed to to do and that was really upsetting and it made me realize how lucky I'd been it gave me this um ability to, to when people said no you can't do that for me to say well why um and I think without that there's literally no way I would have been able to do what I've done in my career because I haven't met another um costume designer or production designer or even crew on a on a film set in a wheelchair in this country um and i've asked other people like the production designers guild and the union here do they know of anyone and they've said no because it's so hard um when i turn up people think i'm an actor and i'm like nah i'm the you know standby costumes or whatever like people more so expect me to be an actor than a crew um and so yeah it's very interesting but without that um that grounding in just like yeah i'm gonna crawl around the bush with a gun and shoot rabbits like when it comes to that push to be the first like within a crew type set designing position that you have in a holly i mean i guess i mean i mean you would have had to confront better challenges with that so many jobs i got hired for and then unhired for when people found out i was in a wheelchair because they think i can't do it because they have you know everyone with a disability gets that like thing that happens when people have a preconception of what you can and can't do and obviously there's things i can't do i can't rig lights i can't climb up a ladder but that's also not what my job is so when people hire me i always have a discussion and say look this is what my job is these are the things i can do um but you know people sometimes get too scared to ask a question or have a, a, a proper conversation and so a few times i had been hired and then unhired without having conversation and people think oh you're in a wheelchair you need extra help we need this and that the truth is i don't need any of that like i can jump down backwards down the stairs in my wheelchair i can move all my stuff around i can build a set like people don't expect that but they don't stop to ask so it's been hard really hard and there's been a million times i wanted to quit but then i think like how hard it's going to be for someone else. So maybe if I just do it, you know, it's less hard next time for someone else. Sounds gross. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. Those preconceived notions uh, around, around like, disability, right? And then, yeah. When it comes to your challenges on, on the stage, I mean, what challenges have you, you faced like, like being a, a musician and being a, a, um, an actor? It tends to be that the social barrier is is more the more the issue. The, the preconceived notions about what it means to have somebody uh, who identifies as having a disability on on board or on the crew or on in the rehearsal room. Um, so you don't really get a chance to get in the room in the first place a lot of the time. Um, and the preconceived notions are so like systemically imbued in society that like where do you even start? dismantling that um, other than by just trying to be there um, and then trying to be, uh, unfortunately, trying to be the first or trying to be like the, the a pioneer 
is wading through the shit so that the next generation has it a little bit easier, which is what the generation before us did and before us did. Um, but yeah, I think I think for me as an actor, it's finding uh, finding roles to play. That's which is why uh, this show is really exciting. It is the first the first character with cerebral palsy that I'll be playing that I didn't write myself. Um, so I think that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know it's 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 they're just they just isn't they just they just isn't any. So um, I either I uh, um, a character that wasn't written to to be disabled, but is by the very virtue of me playing them. So they're not they're not coded as as disabled, which isn't the greatest representation. Um, or I write my own roles. Like that tends to be that tends to be it. So it's uh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and that's really great. Uh, guys, questions. Uh, don't you just hate when they pretty concede what you can and what you can't do? Yep. Hate it. Because I, I get that with me also. Yeah, on a daily basis, people do it. Daily basis. Yeah. They tell you what you can do and what you can't do. Because when, when I was able to see, I was able to, I was always changing the light or fixing anything. And then at home, because something wrecked, they'll whisper it. They won't let me know because they'll, they'll, they'll know I want to do it. Even though I can do it, but they'll hide it from me. I feel like it's a daily struggle to yeah. maintain composure <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, not, you know, I find it hard every day not to get mad about it because just everyday people just look at you and just make a judgment and just bring you weird parts of it. And it's, yeah, pretty infuriating. Yeah, look, I think, yeah, I, think I don't, I don't think there is a, I don't think there's, uh, you know, I feel like I feel pretty safe in saying I don't think there's a disabled person alive who doesn't experience that on like at least yeah. a weekly basis, right? Like I don't think uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's unique. I think it's like that's a really systemic thing um, that just needs to be to be challenged. I think in in theater and film in particular, you know, they they refer to disability as like the last avant garde in in film and theater, and and like we've we've kind of really started to explore a lot of. Um, you know, maybe not enough yet for, for like for, for any sort of and, and I hate kind of the term, but like you know any any sort of um, marginalized group as well. We've, we've really started to um, to kind of delve into into more authentic stories uh, across the board, and I think that builds empathy, which builds uh, the desire to kind of to kind of learn more. If you if you look at um, I suppose the rise in um, female-driven um, art and in queer art and stuff like that. There absolutely needs to be a ton more of it, but the fact that it kind of has its roots in the 90s, you look at the etymology of that, you look at, like, the, for 90s and early 2000 rom-coms, you only had, like, the really plain gay best friend. Like that was the only archetype that you could have. But then over the over the decade or so, we've be able we've we've been allowed to create more nuanced and and characters. And suddenly, gender and sexuality uh, don't have to be the the very centre of, of these characters. Um, because slowly over we we started off with a society that kind of done that, uh, and then it kind of grew as as we created human stories of, of connection um and and uh well yeah so it wasn't just it wasn't just queer stories or gay stories it was human stories that had those elements um and i think we've, we've really yet to do that with 
disability that much. And so unless, unless you've got... I think you can really see the correlation between funding going to things and those stories coming out, even if that's over quite a long period of time. Because um, it used to be that there was lots of funding for diverse um, you know, mentorship placements and um, development of things, but so often they were for BIPOC, queer, feminist stuff, but disability was never a category that's covered. And last time I looked, STC didn't have disability covered in any of their mentorship programs. So um, places like the Hayes have disability covered in their mentorship stuff. I know more health theatre does. But, like, some companies don't have um, disability covered under their, like, um, diversity mentorship and support um, placement program. So, um, you know, it's just a massive block in the road. Um, I mean, and some of us could get in under other banners, but you shouldn't be having to, you know, if um, disability is one of the main um, you know, and you don't want to take a place of someone under queerness when you could be going in under a mobility banner. So, um, yeah, I feel like um, you're so right when it's the last um really needed some, I don't know, it's yeah. to down on stage naked for everyone to be an R at. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, and I think, I think it's, um, I mean, it's, it's a, it would be, it would be yeah, such exactly. a massive step in kind of bridging. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dean, this, this next question goes, goes probably more, more to you than it does to, to Holly. Sorry, Holly. It's no worries. Uh, question, what is advice would you give people Performing arts community. I think uh, Holly could absolutely chime in on this as well, especially um, you know from from the um, from the behind the scenes aspect of performing arts, which we absolutely definitely need uh, uh, more people who identify with as having a disability in that that area as well. But uh, as as for just in general pr performing, um, I'd just say do it. In, in all honesty, you're going to have a million, uh, you're going to have people who tell you not to, you're going to have people who tell you maybe don't do it for the HSC, right? And you're, you're going to have yep. um, people who kind of tell you it's a bit of a pipe dream. But you know what? Anybody going into the arts is going to have people telling them that it's a bit of a pipe dream and maybe they shouldn't do it. But if you love it, um, go for it. Just be prepared to do things um, uh, differently, just a little bit differently. You're going to have to make your own shots a lot of the time. It's an unfortunate reality that you're probably just going to have to work a little bit harder at it. But I mean, if more people would, are doing it, then uh, then we kind of I don't know we start to bridge that gap, you know. So yeah. so uh, jump jump in, yeah. be loud about it, be vocal, and take up space. Take up space. Yeah. Be unapologetic about that. I think that's yeah. the best advice I could give. I think that's really good advice because I think the mistake I made when I first came into this industry was actually to try and take up as little space as I could and to make my um, 
I guess, my impact be my work and just my work. But then I was like, actually, my work is amazing and I can be my work, speak for my work, and then I can speak for, like, how sh- much everything sucks and needs to be better. And um, I can do both those things. I don't just have to do one. And actually just sitting there quietly and doing good work isn't only just one thing that you can do. And I just think the more people that get into the industry – the better it is so so hard um and you really have to be prepared for a really hard fight like some of the stories dean's told me about his auditions are so grim and um but like it's just so worth it to do the thing that you like and to have it to pay off when you see something incredible that you've made with people and i think the the two pieces of really great advice that i would give is to find other people that are creative they don't have to be disability people that you like to work with and surround yourself with those people um try and make things with those people as much as you can and even if you're just an actor Um, not just an actor, but even if you're an actor, try and, like, keep making stuff. Like, Dean writing stuff for himself. Like, I'm a designer, but I'm also trying to produce work as a producer. Like, always trying to make things because people aren't just always going to come to you um, to give you work. Like, always be writing something, producing something, thinking of something to make. You've got to, like, really be on the hustle, like, way more because people are going to give you less jobs, but you can generate really cool content and work um and just if people tell you no just don't accept no just think why are they saying no like to a point someone's gonna say no and you have to go yeah okay but like first off no's be like why and have a conversation about why that no is and make sure it Agreed. really is a no for the right reason yeah so, exactly. so, you, so, so you're trying to say never give up just make sure there's a reason for why there is a no and understanding that. Yeah, absolutely. And don't take no and, and, and go silent. Yeah, like I might be unqualified for a job. So if someone said, no, you can't have this job because um, maybe I don't have the right qualifications, that's fine. But if that's clarified in a conversation, fine. But if they're saying, oh, actually, we think it might be a bit hard for you to go on this um this shoot because it's in a national park which is one of the jobs i got on hide for i'd be like well it's not that hard because actually i've got this power assist thing for my wheelchair and blah 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 you know like check why someone's saying no to you and learn yeah. from it basically make sure make sure you've got to come back yeah. a reasonable one you've got to know what your limits are because like i do have physical limits that if i took a job that i couldn't do i'd look stupid and i'd wreck someone's work you know so i do need to know my physical limits and if i have an assistant that i can take or if someone can offer me an assistant like i still have to operate like a professional and do my work especially on a film set in a timely and efficient manner because time is money on a film set um but you've just got to make sure like people aren't kicking you to the curb without having a good reason uh, well, I was just gonna add. I mean, it's the same same in front of the camera, right? Like, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be mad if I don't get um if I don't get leads in action films, you know, or playing soldiers and stuff like that. Like, there's a there's uh you know there there are there are like you know being aware of the limitations that are real and the ones that are perceived, and kind of knowing the difference between the two of those. That's a great way to put it. Thank you. So, guys, <laughs> to bloody now. 
Turning to the uh, your current production in of um, high school is Murder. How did that come about for both of you? Yeah, cool. Uh, so, so uh, Teenage Dick is the name of the is the name of the show. Um, I look. I stumbled. I stumbled into it. Um, the the director is uh, uh, just uh, a wonderful human being named uh, Dan Graham. He will appreciate the shout out. I'm sure. Um, he uh, he was yeah. Sup, Dan? Um, you know, he he did this show in Perth uh, pretty recently, um, and he was chatting about it. And he asked me if I'd be interested in auditioning, and it, I said no to start with. Because it is set in high school, and um, and for anybody listening along in the podcast, I'm a 33 year old man who looks about 38. Uh, so I was like, maybe not, maybe not the best, maybe not the best fit, Dan. Uh, and then uh, he asked me if I would like to come on as a as a sound designer instead, and I was like, yes, that that I can do. Um, and he sent me the script, and I read the script, and I fell in love with the script, and I called him back, and I said, damn it, Dan, I'll audition. Uh, and then, and then the rest is the rest is history. <laughs> oh dear. Um, I was working on a different play, and someone said, "Oh, this guy Dan Graham, he pitched this amazing play to Flight Path Theatre, and I love Flight Path Theatre and everyone there's rules." And my friend who said he saw the pitch was like, "Oh, it's really good. I trust that friend, Angus Evans. He's great." producer and director and said oh yeah this guy wants like to try and get more disabled people on board with it and I was like oh I don't normally do disabled stuff for disabled stuff's sake and only do it if it's good so I contacted Dan and then he sent me the script and literally it's the best script I've ever read for a play it's so funny it's so biting it's so awesome so I said yeah sure I'll design for you that'll be great and then Dan and I went to um, a show together to watch um, this guy's amazing one-man show about um, queerness and disability. What was it called, Dean? Do you remember? Blurring Lines or something? Oh, yes. Yeah, that was it. Uh, Chris, yeah. Chris Bryan? Yeah. Yeah, it was so funny. Anyway, and then um, I was just being my normal annoying self and Dan was like, oh, do you want to um, – audition for the role of Buck who's Richard's best friend in the play and I was like I don't really act and he's like please will you audition so then I auditioned and I was also like um for the people who are only listening I'm 39 and maybe I look 33 and um also have to play a teenager um so I was like "Eh, I don't know but it turns out that us old idiots are both playing teenagers with people who are much younger than us now. Um, but I think it'll be fine. Um, as I'm the designer, I get to choose that we're all going to wear school uniforms and I think that'll help a lot. So, yeah, um, just, you know, weird word of mouth and people knowing people. Um, and I think just a great script will bring together a really great team and that's kind of what's happened for us. Yeah. Phenomenal team and phenomenal script. And also, guys, like it, uh, it premieres when the nineteenth of uh, July. Uh, yeah, that's it. It runs from the nineteenth of July until the fifth of August. And it's playing uh, just in in Sydney, New South Wales, or is it yeah, around yeah. the country? We have a we have a sh- no, we have a short run. We can dream. At the moment, we have a short run at Flight Path Theatre in Marrickville from the nineteenth of July until until the fifth of August. Um, so that's 12 shows over, over that amount of time. So if you're in Sydney and you're in the inner West, uh, in particular, actually, if you, you know what, if you're anywhere in Sydney, it's, it's worth, it's worth the time. Yeah. It's not very far to come. It's got good parking. Fantastic. Would I be able to understand it being blind? 
Oh, yeah. I might come watch it. I'm not too far from there. Please do. Please do come and watch it. Absolutely. I think I think it's it's a rare piece of really excellent uh, disability representation uh, in that it's got this sort of multifaceted, multi-lens view of disability through the eyes of multiple disabled characters, as well as like like uh, uh, you know non-disabled characters with various levels of like ableistic viewpoints as well. And I think I think it, it does a lot to kind of unveil um, uh, a lot of I suppose lived experience. And so if you are a person with lived experience of disability, it's it's um uh, it's it's the it's a kind of show that you kind of leave. Valid and challenged, and and I think exactly the same. If if you're uh, you know, if you're not a person with lived experience of disability, it's it's a rare insight, I think. Um, and I think yeah. you'll you'll leave the show, you'll 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 spend the show laughing, and you'll leave the show thinking. And I think that's that's a really special thing. Yeah, that's I feel like good. it's a secret yeah. um secret thing for us disabled people that we're like poking non-disabled people with. It's like a weird little sword that we have. This show. I really feel like it's a secret weapon we've got, so I'd encourage people to come and see it. Okay, and if you can... Um, Tell us when you're coming uh, because we're going to do accessibility um, tour of the set and the props and stuff too for people who have vision impairment if they want to come, so... Do we get backstage uh, privileges with... <laughs> with, with the, uh, backstage with, is with worse the... than the front stage, let me tell you. <laughs> It's a little I mean, like, that doesn't even really have a <laughs> Oh, jeez, what a disappointing scene. <laughs> Terrible. Shocking. We'll, we'll, um, we'll save you a good seat. Just let us know when you come. We'll do that. Um, like, so, guys, when it comes to stress, how do you, how do you both actually manage stress in your uh, careers? I, I think I think it just becomes. Uh, I think I think. From from a performing standpoint, there is there is good stress and there is bad stress, and I think we need the good stress as as a motivator and 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 sometimes as as part of your your characterization and part of your process. Um, I think I think you just you know you, you lean into that and uh, um, and I suppose with the bad stress bad stress you just try and build processes around your art so that it kind of you know minimizes it, or then you just have you know. Have your uh, uh, comfort food. I find helps me a lot as well. We're now four, we're like four weeks away from from opening uh, and in rehearsals, and and everybody's having the best time, and it's really cool. But but regardless of how well a show is in rehearsal, when you're four weeks out from open, uh, you you do start to get a little bit the nerves kick in, and everything kind of gets heightened. Um, and so you just uh, the best thing about theater is that you do it together. You know, I think that's the best way to manage stress in these situations together. Yeah, that's a good answer. How about you, Holly? I find, like, stress in my job is good. I feel like I never feel quite right unless I'm stressed and rushing. And as long as there's something that I can act on in in a stressful situation, I feel fine. Like, I love moving forward. Maybe I'm like a shark in another life where I've got to keep swimming, got to keep chasing um, I struggle with stress that I that I can't act on or have anything to do with, um, kind of like, you know, people treating us weirdly or things like that. I struggle with that kind of stress, and so I feel like I kind of channel that into work stress, like maybe doing too many jobs or taking on too much work, that kind of thing. So that's probably not great, but that's what I do. <laughs> but it is really great to be part of a good team. 
So your stress is more like trying to prove to others that you can do what they're asking of you. I probably feel like I'm more um, keeping my mind like just totally overwhelmed so I don't have to think about just idiots, if that makes Understood. sense. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Probably I used to feel like that. Like maybe in my twenties, I had a real, I had a real thing to yep. prove. But now that I'm older, I'm like I don't have to prove anything to anyone. Um, yeah, understood. But I don't want to also think about any of those people that are weird in the street. So I'm just like, mm, uh, let's work now. Do do do. You know what's funny? You know what's funny today? I was walking, and a lady told me you're brave. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it must be so hard work. Yeah, it's the worst. Because <laughs> <laughs> walking, yeah. you're walking, you can't see. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and yeah. Then, <sighs> so, like, uh, like, so, like, so, like, we we come to our very, very last question now. Oh, bigger part, we've got a comment. Um, Jonathan, can you read that for us? On, on contracts over accessibility is um, unfortunately way too common. I think there's this thought process that accessibility is, um, you know, having accessibility set up in these venues is a is a privilege rather than a right. Which is, um, yeah. But I, I think that yeah, it's un yeah. unfortunate. I'm, yeah, really sorry to read that. It's yeah, really that's shitty. gross and not surprising. And I've got a literal aversion to lifts in places and if someone goes there's a lift i'm like lol that doesn't mean anything i basically think that that doesn't matter because how many times is it going to work or is it going to be covered in stuff or is there going to be things in front of it like that's terrible. 
so many times when I'm on location filming somewhere, people go, yeah, yeah, there's toilets, there's toilets. I go, are there? Are there disabled toilets? They go, oh, yeah, there are. I go, okay. And then I go and there's no disabled toilets or I go and there's not even a toilet that's wide enough to, for me to fit in even if it's not a disabled toilet. And I told them, like, there won't be toilets. I promise you there won't. And there's not. So I just, like, literally can't drink or go to the toilet all day. Even though I told someone, I bet there won't be toilets and they promise you there are. Like, you just get to this point where you don't trust anything anyone says and it just makes you not want to do anything which is like terrible and i don't know what much you can say to a comment like that except for like sorry and totally understand what you're going through (laughs) what theater that's terrible sounds like a story for us to cover Mm, i'm thinking go to Enmore because they don't need a lift i shall be um making some follow-up inquiries yeah do that i think it's it's quite telling. Um, when you build your ramps, do you usually put edges on the so the curbs so your wheelchairs don't pull off? So oh, they, there's already a stage there. So I don't have to build a okay. stage. There already is one. Okay. And it's just up to the theatre whether that's accessible or not, depending on which theatre that I'm in. And far the ones that I've been the few that I've been to so far have all been accessible for actors. And they've got curves on the side? They're flat. They're not e- there's not even a step. So if you go to Flight Path, it's just a flat. It's basically a flat box straight onto okay. the stage from the backstage. The other place I worked was um, the new theatre. I just did the costumes there, but... Um, the stage there is also just like flat from the um, backstage area up to um, the stage. But at that theatre, the dressing room actually is upstairs. So if you're an actor acting at the new theatre, you would have to – no, actually, I had to jump down the stairs oh, there. So if you're at the new theatre, you'd, you'd struggle. I jumped down the stairs in my wheelchair. If you couldn't do that – um, they'd have to yeah. figure something else out for you. But once you get down to where the yeah. stage is, uh, yeah. How do you go back up there? There's another set of stairs from the backstage area down to the back alleyway, so I jumped down there. Okay. See what I mean? Like, there's all these workarounds that <laughs> everyone does uh, in different ways. So I feel like there's no blanket. There's, like, literally no way you could um, easily make that theatre accessible. Um, so it's really um, so, unlucky like, so that I can work there. Yeah. Looking at all the things we discussed then, to, like in today's episode, yeah. what would you and what would what would your opinion, what, what would your vision be um, for the performing arts community um, vis-a-vis like how they cater for for, for like, people with uh, disabilities, both in like a, a professional sense um, and also in like an audience sense. It's so the making things accessible for audiences is just so completely different for making it accessible for other people. So the new theatre is a good one to look at for that because it is accessible for audiences. So if you as a wheelchair user, for instance, go to the new theatre, there's like one of those little um, – 
platform lift things that lifts you up to a row of seats that have been removed for you to watch the show. And then there's a disabled toilet that's always kept open and not full of cleaning junk or whatever they put in them normally in the foyer for you to use. It's completely accessible for um, people to... um, watch theatre there and they're very conscientious about all that equipment working all the time but if you're to work there once you get up into the the um seats you have to walk down the steps from the seats to get to the back of stage and there's no lift down those stairs they're big wide stairs though so i can jump down those stairs to get every single theatre that's like that in sydney accessible for every type of wheelchair would be like a lot of money. I mean, that would be the best outcome so that everyone could get everywhere. I don't see that happening soon, but that would be the outcome. But in the meantime, what I would like people to do, the best thing that people could do would be to be more open to hire people with disabilities and actually just ask them how capable are they? How, if you're a designer, do you have to come there? Can you meet them somewhere else? Can you you know, get involved yeah. in a different way. Um, I'm lucky that I could go in there and that I've got the physical ability enough to jump down those stairs. Um, but, you know, there's theatres that have accessibility and, you know, places like STC that have a mentorship program that doesn't include disability, it should. Um, just more awareness and acceptingness and people happy to have conversations around it would be a good interim step before we can change all the old buildings which i don't think will they'll ever prioritize but you know that's just really disappointing but i feel like it might be a reality i've got a question different wheelchairs have different accessibility to different areas would it be better if they supplied the wheelchairs for the area to make it more accessible for everyone that's more expensive but for example, this type of chair will be more accessible in this area. Well, I just think that, like, for instance, if you use an electric chair, that you wouldn't be able to get places I could get. So if you, you're an electric chair user, you know, you wouldn't be able to go to the places that I went when I was working there, you know. Yeah, understood. Yes. You couldn't even jump up a gutter. And there's so many gutters around where we are. Like, it's... You know, shit sucks. Dean, your vision. Yeah, I mean, it's such a, it's such a big question, right? I think um, uh, so. There's a there's a term I really like called the aesthetics of access, um, and it's it's the concept of uh, oh, now that's a good right, term. From the, the idea the idea behind it is that in the creation of anything, whether it be whether it be building an, an actual premises or the foundation of an organization, you have inclusivity at the very center of how this thing's going to work. Not necessarily just for you know uh, uh, disability access, but but across the board inclusion. And so if your if your entire design is based on how do we include and we create a multifaceted thing that includes everybody. And then you start eliminating access barriers. Um, and what is disability other than access barriers, right? For those listening that aren't familiar with like the social model of disability, I have a uh, I have an analogy that I that uh, I, I I will reiterate over and over and over again. Uh, and uh, essentially, it's it's this: if uh, if if uh, you woke up this morning 
uh, and 98% of the population could fly and you were one of the 2% of the population who could not fly, at that very moment, you wouldn't be disabled, right? You would just be a guy who couldn't fly. Uh, but fast forward like two years down the track and all of a sudden nobody's maintaining roads anymore and the entry into buildings is on the third or fourth floor with no staircases that go up to it. And socially, people are like, oh, loath to hire you because they don't want to do anything about that. And suddenly they're creating terms like, you know, walkies instead of flies or whatever. All of a sudden now you have physical and social barriers. Now you're just disabled uh and and so you know disability is nothing but access barriers and if we start being mindful about the way that we build stuff with inclusion at the center access at the center then we start removing those barriers and all of a sudden this isn't a conversation that needs to happen anymore but you know that's a that's it's a complicated thing to do you kind of can't go around completely bulldozing down and rebuilding old buildings from scratch. you know there's, there's all going to be this is just like ideal world kind of stuff but yeah, I, I think just to just to further on what, what Holly was saying, just just kind of um, you know, just hiring people with lived experience of disability more is huge. Just for for, for those conversations, just for, for, for paving the way, um, is is a is a huge step. Huge. What a great way to finish our episode. So the both you you get your. A, a final thought for our, our audience, for the both of you. You can give us your final thought, your takeaway, like you'd like our audience to um, decide what you said in the episode. Yeah. I, I want to I take my last, just to, to plug the show one more time. That's what I want to do. Please uh, do. So... <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I mean, it's again, it's it's a it's an incredible, uh, incredible little show. Um, the concept of it being that you know Richard the Third was uh, one of the history's uh, the way Shakespeare wrote him anyway was one of history's greatest villains, and and he was disabled and the only disabled character that Shakespeare ever wrote. Please don't fact check me on that. I actually do fact check, me on that. <laughs> I do. but I. I I think I think he's the only disabled, the only disabled character that Shakespeare ever wrote, and he was this uh, written as as such a villain, and it was the physical disability was showing him as having a physical disability that made him uh, obviously the villain to the audience, and this that's it, in a modern way makes makes Richard a teenager with cerebral palsy um, who has this complex of villainy thrust upon him by society. And he takes it and he owns it, and uh, and that sort of like yeah, that's that 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 commentary is, is so interesting, and the the characters uh, are amazing, and uh, the other actors that that we're playing uh, with, I, sometimes I, I kind of just want to be like, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. They're so so great. Um, They're so great. Every element of this show is fantastic. Um, I usually don't say that about shows that I mean. I get real nervous about the whole imposter syndrome of how they're building up but i really love this show um and yeah i couldn't recommend it higher so uh please come put bum on seats see this work let's keep doing it really awesome come and watch it if you have a disability you'll be like yeah <laughs> and if you don't you'll be like whoa um so that and also just like we've talked a lot about sad stuff and hardcore stuff today and so i just wanted to say that um, if you go about your day and you feel sad or stressed or 
harassed or whatever. It's okay to feel that way. You can feel sad and mad sometimes. I feel sad and mad sometimes. And that's all right. Give yourself permission to feel like that. I used to feel bad about feeling like that when stuff was hard. And it's okay to feel like that. And then just be like, whatever. And then go about trying to get what you want in life, like Dean and I are doing, because that's also hard, but it's also rewarding. So, like, don't be too hard on yourself. And, um, yeah. That's Terrific. That. And, look, and, guys, make sure you both um, don't be strangers to our podcast. Please, Holly, make sure you're welcome to come back whenever you wish to have a chat with us again. No worries. Don't be strangers. We like we like regular friends here at, here at Crypto Australia. We think it's always good to create allies and friends all over the place. And look, guys, you've been, you've been watching uh, Crypto Australia Weekly Podcast for Disability. Please like, share, and subscribe to this episode. And uh, we'll see you all next week for next week's edition of Crypt Chat. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you.